So welcome today on Father's Day. Uh, although it's not a Father's Day message, it will touch on moms and dads and kids today as we, we look at this illustration in Scripture that's so important to us growing in our spiritual lives. It, it's so important. We're going to learn some things from this that will, are really critical to us help navigating the world because I, I know you know this, the world is not promoting Christianity. And it's not their job. It's the church's job. It's the people of God. We are the church. I don't mean the church organization. I mean we the people. And so believers should be sharing Christ with the, the world. And so we're going to talk about the older will serve the younger. And it's so important that we understand this concept because to have a biblical Christian worldview is really critical. But I want you to know this. It's not just knowing it in our head. We don't want just a biblical Christian worldview so we can pass a test. I mean, we've got to have knowledge first because you can't do what you don't know. But ultimately, the goal is we want a Christian biblical worldview to navigate this world so that we can live like Christians. That's our end game, to live like believers, to really apply the whole idea is to apply this stuff to our lives. Because we learn the scriptures and we believe the scriptures and we trust in the scriptures and we apply the scriptures, it transforms our life. Now, when our lives get transformed, it helps transform the lives of others around us. And then we find that we're walking in a place that we all want to really walk in, a place of victory, a place of faith, a place of hope, a place of love, a place of blessing, so we can pour all that out on others. Because Christianity is, is not narcissistic where it's all about me, me, me. It's about I receive so I can give to others. Freely you have been, you've received, freely give. And so that's the life of a believer. And so we want to make sure that we don't forget that. And I want to remind you, I remind you of all the time, and I know you may say, well, I'm tired of getting reminded of it. It's good to be reminded of things. Jesus did not come so the world could have another religion. Jesus did not come so there could be one more way of getting into heaven. That's, that's totally illogical. Can, I know we talk about, so I'm going to just say it quickly because I say it often, you know, here's the God, the most brilliant in all the universe. He's the creator of life, and he says, you know, all roads lead to me. That's not what he says, but if we say all roads lead to me, all religions are valid, everybody gets to heaven in their own way, but I have an idea. How about we clothe ourselves in a human body, get brutally beaten and murdered, get thrown into a tomb, rise from the dead, so the world can have an extra way to get to heaven? Now, there's not just a thousand ways, there's a thousand and one ways. That, that's illogical. So I really believe Christianity either is legit or it's not. And if it is, then Jesus is not a liar who said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. So Jesus did not come just to give us an extra way to heaven. He did not come to diminish your life. He did not come to rob you of life. He truly is not the cosmic killjoy who says, if you have any good thought or idea or fun thing to do, I'll make sure I crush it. That's not Jesus' heart. He doesn't condemn. We know that from John 3, 17. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't criticize. He doesn't browbeat. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of those things. He came. Jesus reveals reasons why he came. One of the reasons, he said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, think about all the analogies. When you're lost, they take you out of that lost condition and put you in a different condition. You don't stay deep in the woods and say, I've been rescued. No. You see all that crazy flooding that's been going on in Montana and Yellowstone Park? They've been watching that. If you were swept away in one of those rivers and you were rescued, they take you out of that and put you someplace else. They don't say, oh, we rescued them as they float on down the stream. No, you take them out, you put them somewhere else. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to save us from our 
sins, so to get out of that, that's what being saved is all about. And then he says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. You might have it abundantly, you might have it overflowing, you might have it to the fullest measure. Jesus said, that's why I came, it's one of the reasons for my coming. And so when we decide, I'm going to get off my path, and I'm going to go Jesus' path, that is our best way to live life to the fullest measure. So it's not a miserable way to live, it's a wonderful way to live. And we look at Hebrew scriptures, and we read these Old Testament people, we're going to look at these two brothers, they're twin brothers, Esau and Jacob, their father is Isaac, their mother is Rebekah, and we're going to learn some things from their story that the older will serve the younger. And all these stories in the Old Testament, by the way, they're not make-believe. They're not like, well, these are just cute little analogies, they're, you know, fairy tales you can read and get a good lesson out of. No, they're actual life events. And God said these actual life events can serve as examples for us. 1 Corinthians 10.11 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says they're examples, they're warnings for us. So we can look at stories, we can say, here's, it's a warning, here's what to do. And then sometimes it's a good warning or a good encouragement, here's what to do. So you look at these stories and you're to draw spiritual truths from them to accelerate your Christian life. And so we're going to look at that, we're going to pick up on the story here in Genesis 25, 22 through 34. Rebecca has some babies in her belly. Now, Darlene had twins, a boy and a girl in her belly, and I thought when they were born, they'd just be like these little preemie-looking things. They were like all around seven pounds. And so, wow, she was toting around 14 pounds of baby in there. Well, these babies, babies jostled around within Rebecca, and she said, why is this happening to me? I'm sure Darlene said that. I'm sure every pregnant woman has probably said, even if it's a single child, why is this happening in here? And so she went to inquire the Lord, and the Lord said, I'll tell you what's happening. You're having some babies. But actually, there's a little more detail than that. Here's what's happening. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. How would you like to give birth to that baby? I don't think anybody went to that baby, oh, that's so cute, that's so cute. Red and hairy. So they named him Esau. Names aren't usually all that complex, although you can learn more things, you really go and study deep, but Esau basically means hairy. I guess there's another bad dad joke. If you're named Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, that's okay, but who wants to be named Harry, H-A-I-R-Y? And that's what Esau means, Harry. So all of his life he's called Harry. So then it goes on. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. I'm going to give you the deep meaning of the word Jacob. Heel grabber. That's what it means. Heel grabber. They were very creative, weren't they? It also means supplanter, which supplanter means somebody's in charge and somebody comes and takes over that charge. It also means that, too. Isaac was 60 years old and Rebecca gave birth to them. Now I'm telling you something I know I don't look like, but I'm 60 years old. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to have twins. Okay? I like the twins we had 30 years ago, but not interested in being a, having, you know, if Darlene came and said, I'm pregnant with twins, I'd have to go, ooh, okay, let me... I'd be the one passing out, not her, like, give him some air. He was 60 years old when 
Rebecca gave birth to them, the boys grew up, and Isaiah became a skillful, or Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, who's the dad, had a taste for wild game. He loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There's some good parenting going on there. Dad likes Esau, the hunter likes the taste of wild game. Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Now again, to talk about their creativity and naming, he got a nickname that day. That is why it's also called Edom, which means red. So they were great nicknamers, weren't they? Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Now if you say, what's the big deal about a birthright? A birthright, it means that when mom and dad are gone, you are in control of all their domain and inheritance. Now, Abraham and Isaac were very wealthy people. So to have behead over all their wealth and their properties and possessions was a big deal. Later on in the law, this is before the law, later on in the law, the firstborn with the birthright got a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had a super wealthy family, I mean, in my family, when my mom and dad passed away, I mean, I, I do mean this, we were rich in so many ways and we didn't care about, about money. In fact, I tried to stir up the brothers when when my father passed away, mom passed away first, then father passed away, I told the brothers, I said, the only thing I remember mom and dad's request was, was that I get everything. And uh, they said, that sounds good. So that shows you how much everything was, because I can promise you if it would have been millions of dollars, they might have said, I think I want to see that in writing somewhere. So, so uh, they were, we were rich in a lot of different ways, but there wasn't a lot of stuff to fight over. But had they been super wealthy, the firstborn, which is my brother Everett, would have gotten, if Let's say Tony and I were getting 10 million, he would have got 20. If they had houses all over around the world, we got a couple houses, they would have got four. If they amassed cars, you get the idea. He would, the firstborn would get double after the law came, double of the inheritance. So it's a big deal to be the firstborn, and it was a big deal even in this without that little caveat there. So Jacob, he's really going for this. And then Esau says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? Now, some people believe he really was about to die. Took it very literally. Because they said, if he wasn't about to die, he would just went over, took that soup, and eaten it himself. I don't think that's true. That's just me. You can decide whatever you want. Because this is all the story we have. So we all kind of extrapolate and see if we can figure out what's going on. I think it's a figure speech just like we have today. You know, my kids used to say, we're starving to death. And I said, first of all, I don't even think you've ever really been hungry, let alone starving to death. But you know how we do it. I'm so famished, I don't know if I can take another step. Well, exaggeration. He did come in from the field from hunting. I'm sure he was tired and was very hungry. I believe the reason he told Jacob to get it is because from Esau's perspective, he was in charge. Jacob was to serve him. You serve me. Bring me some of that soup. And he said, I'll do it for your birthright. What good's my birthright? He said, swear to me with a vow. Esau swore to him with a vow that if he would give him some soup, he could have his birthright. And so Jacob brought him some soup and some bread and some drink, and Esau ate and drank and then left. And so Esau despised his birthright. He despised, you, you read the story, you go, it's even anticlimactic. He gives away his birthright, gets done eating, just walks away. You know, done, no big deal. 
didn't give it a second thought. Well, in the New Testament or Christian scriptures, we find this description. So, Rebecca's got a word from the Lord, the older will serve the younger. In the New Testament, we find there's an old man and a new man. The older will serve the younger. That's not the normal way of things, but we're going to look at Ephesians here, and we're going to see this play out in a New Testament Christian prospect. The first little set's going to tell us here's the problem, here's not what not to do, and the second set of scripture is going to tell us here's what to do. So, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, with the Lord's authority, this is Paul, an apostle, writing to a church at Ephesus, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Ephesus, by the way, is a very pagan. Uh, we had the pleasure of being in Ephesus. We... It's a very pagan, uh, ungodly place, just, you know, living for the flesh, living for the world, living for sin, so pretty much like anywhere. And they were, they were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. And so he says this, Paul's teaching them, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, most of the time in the New Testament, when you hear the word Gentile, it means a unbeliever. Now, there were the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jewish people were considered believers. The Gentiles were unbelievers. Then Christ came in. The church was born. And sometimes you will see him talk about, the scriptures talk about Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians. But most of the time when you see the word Gentile, it means a pagan, an unbeliever, a non-believer. And so here, Paul is telling them, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Look around at our world today. Again, I'm not picking our current culture because every culture has been like this. Every group of people outside of Jesus, outside the word of God, are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. Please listen, that's such a powerful thing. Uh, they, they think, and we all, the Bible says we all lived among them one time too, but think this is the real way to live but they're really wondering far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. I cannot tell you how many times when I go to share with somebody and they're living a particular lifestyle, sinning in a certain way, it could be anything, by the way, and if we're in a conversation and they're giving me permission to speak into their life and I say, hey, that's not right. The scripture says this and God says this. If they're like this verse, they'll say, well, you know, that's, you Christians are also judgmental and and blah, 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 and that's how you see the Bible, and that's this. Well, what, what's happening? The scripture's true. They are closing their minds. Immediately, they shut you down. They talk like they wanted to know. What they really wanted you to say, it's okay. It's like Darlene and I, we met with a person one time many years ago. I doubt too many of you here would even know who it was who was uh, having an a adulterous relationship with the boss, and this person was single, the boss was married, and they, they wanted to talk to us and said, please don't judge me. I, I, we, we knew him well enough to say, I don't know what you expect us to say. Hey, it's good, it's right, it's beautiful, it's lovely, it's wonderful. We got, we got to say, we got to judge this. By the way, super big lie, uh, Christians need to not judge. We don't need to be judgmental and holier than thou, but the Bible says, Paul one time says, can't you Christians even judge simple things? Do you not know that we will judge angels? You can't judge these simple little matters. Now, you know the difference between righteously judging something, just having a haughtier, holier than thou judgmental spirit, but we are to judge things and deem that that's right, that's wrong, that's good, that's bad. But that's what people want. They, 
they closed their minds, they hardened their hearts. Why? Because we all, me, you all, we all want to live how we want to live and do what we want to do. And that's why we constantly had to break that and yield that to the lordship of Jesus. It says, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So what, what's happening there, and you see that. Now, they may not talk like this in front of their parents, but, you know, they plan a wild party on Friday night, and they're immoral, and they have another wild party on Saturday, and they're immoral. They, they recuperate on Sunday, and they go to work or school, and they brag about it. Why? Because they have no shame. Ephesians goes on to tell us also that it's shameful even to mention what the unrighteous do. It's, it's shameful even to mention it. But they're bragging about it because they have no shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But, pivotal verse here, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. If you have learned that you can come to Christ and keep living like the devil, you learned wrong. Bad, poor, whatever the right word phrase is. You have learned incorrectly. You say, well, how dare you say that? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. So what's it saying? If I'm going to come to Jesus, I, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to throw off that old nature. I'm going to live differently. There was one time I was up in the attic of this building. My family was up there getting some stuff. There was a Santa Claus suit in there. And there was a beard on. It's probably about 12 or 14 years old. And I slapped that beard on. And when I slapped that beard on, my mom looked and said, there's a dead mouse in it. <laughs> that beard got off of me in a millisecond. It's like, don't. Throw off. Throw off. That, think about that. We go, wow, there really was a dead mouse. And mom wasn't a big joker. She was a funny person, but she was a big joker. And it's like, ugh. That's like hanging there by my face. We should have that kind of passion for getting rid of sin. Throw off your old sinful nature. Throw off your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. See, every one of us, we got all kinds of excuses why we do what we do. Now, if you do what we do, it's really bad. But if we do what we do, well, here's why we do it. Because, and we have excuses, it's deception. Instead of that... Let the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Renew your thoughts and attitudes. So there's a contrast going on here. Remember the first person, they're living for the world, they're living like Gentiles. You give them some scriptural instruction, they go, well, that's promised to you all, you Christians, you're just all this and that, and they, they close their minds, they close their thoughts. Here it says that we have different thoughts and different attitudes. Back many years ago, there's a person, still goes to the church here today, and, and they were talking to me. They'd only been here a few weeks, and we were having a conversation out there in the foyer after church, and think we were standing over by the water fountain. And they told me, they said, um, that they were living with somebody outside of marriage. And they said, what's the Bible say about that? I said, well, the Bible says that's wrong, that that's sin. Now, I want to show you the contrast here. When people don't really want to hear they say, well... You just don't understand, and so I'll list you the five, ten reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Some of the reasons sound super legit. I'm just being honest with you. I have compassion. I, I see why they're doing what they're doing, but at the end of the conversation, it's still sin. It's still wrong. So I said, sin, it's wrong. Uh, here's what the Bible says. If you're living together, just if you love each other, get married. If not, you know, you need to deal with that if you want to do what the Bible says. Well, two or three weeks later, I'm talking to him. I said, hey, you know, by the way, how's things going with that situation? He said, oh, I went home that afternoon and moved out. 
I said, oh my goodness. Oh, heart, be still. Somebody actually listened to the word of God, went and did it immediately, you know. Because what most people want to do is say, well, I really would like to counsel with you for an hour or two a week for the next 20 weeks about the situation. I mean, you don't need counsel for 20 weeks for stuff like that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counseling. But here's what the Bible says. And you can say, well, I don't want to do what the Bible says, so can we spend about 20 weeks seeing if we can find a loophole around it? No, we cannot. Here's what the Bible says. They actually went out and did what the Bible said. It was so encouraging to me. It was like amazing. Think how fast we can grow if we keep doing that in our lives all the time. To say, the Bible says this, I stop. I quit. I mean, I honestly was amazed because most people, you talk to them two years later, well, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still doing this. I'm kind, I'm gracious, I'm loving, but I'm telling you, they would be further ahead if they said, I'm going to do the word of God. So, here it says, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature. There's no dead mouse in it. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, that new nature, you don't have to try to make be holy. You don't have to try to make be righteous. It is God's nature in you. It's already righteous. It's already holy. So what we have to do, and this is hard. I mean, we all probably struggle with this. We keep trying to rehabilitate our old nature. We need to step into our new nature because it's already righteous. It's already holy. It's already like God. I don't have to try to make it like God. It's already like God. And we have that in Jesus. Is anyone in Christ? Then they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And all this is from God. We've been reconciled with God and made new. Hmm. Man, our God's good. This passage talks about this old nature and this new nature. Some translations say old man, new man, old way of life, new way of life. So I want to bring it into my Esau and Jacob story. Your old nature is just that, your old nature. The old Jew before Jesus is the oldest Jew. I came to know the Lord as best I knew how, and it was legit, probably four or five years old. But my old nature had four years longer life than my new nature. So I look at that, that's my old man. That's the older. And my goal is for the older to serve the younger. The younger is my born-again spirit. My younger one is when I was born again. Jesus came up with the idea, Nicodemus, you must be born again. How can that happen? How can I enter mother's womb again? What's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of spirit is spirit. So now my new man is younger than my old man, and my old man needs to be trained and taught how to serve the new man. The old man has to serve the younger man in the Lord. So the word from Rebecca was, the older will serve the younger. So all worthly examples fail at some point, but your old nature, that's your red, hairy Esau, okay? That's you, okay? Your old nature. Now, when you come to Christ, you become Jacob. Now, I'm not really speaking that over you because Jacob had some issues too, but you get the idea for the illustration purposes that the older is going to serve the younger. And so I have to, I have to say, okay, Lord, how are we going to make this happen? How's that older going to serve the younger? You have to make sure the old is ruled by and serves the new us. And I'm going to give you some input here, some pointers. Your flesh, now I want to do some differentiation between here. The Bible often talks about the sin nature. And I believe, how I understand the scriptures, you can study it out for yourself, that our sin nature is destroyed when we're born again. That our sin nature is destroyed. But our flesh wasn't. 
Otherwise, we'd get born again, we'd fall over dead, we'd go to be with Jesus, because our flesh would just, you know, fall down. So you notice that after you became a Christian, you went to the mirror and you looked in the mirror and you still had the same body. For some of you, that was discouraging, but you still had the same one. This is who I am. I'm still that. You still have a lot of your old habits. Sometimes Jesus does supernaturally deliver us of some of those things, but sometimes you got the old habits, the old patterns, the old this. I got the same body. You know, my flesh didn't get, get destroyed. By the way, Jesus never one time talked negatively about our human bodies, just their incredible creations, okay? So I don't want you to vilify the human body. It's a precious, wonderful gift from God, and it's a really wonderful earth suit here on planet earth for living on this planet. So what happens is these old struggles, we have to start submitting them, that old stuff, to the new me, to the new us, which is created again to be like God already in true righteousness and holiness as a lifetime pursuit. But we have God's help because we already read the Holy Spirit is there. We're new. So we have the help of God to help transform this. And our flesh begins to submit to our spirit. Now, I may have journeyed further down this road, or maybe you've journeyed further down the road than I have. By the way, who cares? We're all encouraging one another. It's not a contest to see who's grown the most in the Lord. In fact, we're supposed to encourage one another. You know one of the reasons why we gather in church, according to the Bible, says you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And by the way, I can't tell you how many times I've had people try to loophole around that. But the word church is a Greek word. Ekklesia, it means, it literally means called out from your homes. Called out from your homes to a place of public assembly. A, a basketball game is a public, is an ecclesia. People are called out from their homes. A town hall meeting, if you leave your home, those are, those are an ecclesia. And there's another word, too, talking about the church. It's called koinonia, and it means fellowship. So you have fellowship with one another. You get to know one another. You rub shoulders, hug one another. You get to know one another. And so the scripture talks about this. Christianity is very relational, and so it calls us out to be relational. And so we're supposed to come to the house of the Lord to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to motivate one another towards love and good deeds. We're back on the loves topic again. So we come together and when we leave, we should leave saying, I'm encouraged to love God and love one another. I'm encouraged to go out and be what God's called me to be. That's one of the reasons why we gather together. And so this is too small, but if, if the life of God, because don't you just want to be immersed in the life of God? The life of God, let's say it's this big and you're a brand new believer and you've captured this much of the life of God. That's okay. But the goal is keep expanding that. And then pretty soon it's this much. And then pretty soon it's this much. Then pretty soon it's that much. And whether you're here today and you've captured this much of the life of God and I'm only at this much, that's okay. Let's just spur one another on to keep loving God, keep going after God, doing good things, keep growing. And, the, of course, the love of God and the presence of God and God himself is much bigger than this, but we keep growing. And I've had people say, well, Tracy, so you're telling me you only got a little part of God and you get more of God. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Bible says. That we should be filled to the fullness of the measure of Christ. Now, if I'm already filled to the fullness of the measure of Christ as soon as I get born again, then why have that verse in there that I'm supposed to feel? Now, did I get one, you know, fourth of Jesus when I got saved or one fourth of the Holy Spirit? No, I did get all of God, but all of God hasn't gotten me yet. I got to let, let him expand and take over territory in my life. And so it's all this beautiful process of growing in God. So I'm going to give us our, our 
main single point to how to do this, how to make sure that our new nature, the younger us, is ruling over the old nature, the older us. And here it is, stop being ruled by your appetites. There's no one in here that can't say in their heart, oh me, oh my. Stop being ruled by your appetites. Now when we think of appetites, we generally think of food, and that's one of the things that rule us. But appetite's a hunger for anything. You have a hunger for acceptance that's overboard. You have a hunger for, for getting even with people. Do you have a, a hunger for materialism or greed or power or, or immorality or whatever? Where's this hunger at? Are you, hunger, are you an angry person? All those things we have to keep submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. So you've you got to make sure that you're stop, stop being ruled by your appetites. So here's Romans 13, 14. Instead of being ruled by your appetites, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil, fleshly, sinful desires. Now, speaking of appetite for food, if you watch commercials, there'll be commercials. I can't remember if it's... I don't remember what the drug is, but there's some drug out there that if you watch the commercial, it says, take this, and basically, you can eat yourself sick, and you'll be okay. And I think, isn't that kind of like a bad pattern? You know, that, uh, and so you say, man, we're going on a cruise. It's nonstop food. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my, my Beano and my Gas-X and my, and my, my Pepto-Bismol and my, my Pepsid-AC, and I'm going to get my... Uh, whatever, because I'm going to... I think, enjoy, enjoy a wonderful meal. You don't have to th have three of them for breakfast and three for lunch and three for supper. What is it? But, now, that's just one example, but there's all something, there's something. And so he says, don't, don't indulge it. Don't come up with ways, don't think about ways to indulge evil. You could say to yourself, I'm so sick of that person at work or school. You know, next time I see them, I'm going. What are you doing? You're thinking up ways to indulge this anger, this revenge, this unforgiveness, and you're, you're getting this big speech ready, and you know how you're going. You're, you're catering to the old nature. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe I don't know what. I had a guy in here years and years ago. I came to church a few times, and, and he was addicted to pornography really super deep. And, um, and so I, told him, I said, man, I said, you... I said, you're going to have to be drastic here. If you want to go after God, and apparently you can't control this, you're going to have to cut off your cable and your internet service, and we'll start there. You would have thought I asked him to cut off his arm. That was like, he, there, there's no way I would do that. Well, he quit coming to the church, maybe because of that counseling session I had. Now, you notice the difference between the first one I gave and the second one? The second one, three weeks later, I should have had, if it's just like the first one, how's things going that? Oh, I canceled my cable, shut off my internet, I'm doing so much better. Well, years went by and they came, and just it's just a regular work day, and they came in and said, hey, I just want to tell you something. Remember that thing we talked about years ago? And said, yeah. And said, I've made so much progress in that. I'm not joking about this. He said, I now only look at six pornography sites. I guess it used to be 20 or 30. So that seemed like, I, I wanted to say, are you doing the same amount of hours with the six that you used to do with the 20? But, but he felt like there was progress. So again, you know, I talked with him, shared with him, and uh, I haven't seen him again. That was 10 years ago, probably. Because if we're not careful, we darken our, our understanding, our minds, we close our hearts, we, 
we can't, we can't receive from God. And we need to open them up. We need to open up our hearts, open up our minds. So, clothe yourself with Jesus. And don't think about, every one of you will think about me, you all will think about ways to indulge your flesh, your sinful nature, your sinful desires. And as soon as it starts, you have to stop and say, hold it, no. The scripture says, don't be thinking about ways to feed that appetite. Think about ways to clothe myself with the presence of Jesus. So we got Esau and Jacob. Esau's coming in from hunting. Oh my goodness, I'm dying. I'm famished. I can't make it. I got to have some of that soup. Give me some of that soup. Sells his birthright. Jacob's happy to do so. Pretty cheap deal. And he sells that birthright. I want to encourage you today. God has all kinds of things for you and I. And we are sons and daughters of God. And, and truly, even you ladies, it's so weird how our culture can get, but you're sons of God. And I know ladies might say, oh, I don't like that. Okay, well, most translations now say sons and daughters of God because we relate to that better. But I do want you to know, men, we're the bride of Christ. It's interesting how that works together. I know we're not female, and you guys aren't male, you ladies, but, but I'm telling you, we're, we're sons and daughters of God. We have a birthright in Jesus. And I want to encourage you with something today. Don't sell your birthright for anything. Don't sell it for a bowl of soup. Don't sell it. This, this happens all the time. We place so little value on God and on his word and on the way he wants us to do life. And we buy into these lies from the devil because he's ready to give you one. We buy into these lies. The devil says, I got a better way for doing life. Isn't that exactly what he told Adam and Eve? I got a better way for doing life. You got a better way for doing life. The world has a better way for doing life. Society, culture, whatever has a better way for doing life, but not God. God is that cosmic killjoy. He only has one motivation for you. That's to crush you, make sure you never have any fun, make sure you never enjoy life, and then maybe thank God you'll die someday and go to heaven, and that's it. Well, we can enjoy him now. We're to enjoy him now. We're to enjoy his presence now. And so he's not trying to rob anything from you. Esau despised his birthright. Let's not despise our birthright. Now, if you ask Esau, did you despise your birthright? He'd probably say no because we all justify ourselves. But actions speak louder than words. He sold his birthright at the vow and walked away after eating a bowl of soup. He despised it, regardless of what he would say. Over many years of talking with people about the Lord, it's not uncommon to talk to somebody and say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. And he's the most important thing in my life. Talk to him for a little bit longer. You really figure out this. I don't go to church. I don't pray. I don't submit my life to God. I don't read the Bible. I don't give any time to God, any skills to God, any money to God, or anyone for that matter. I don't study scripture. I don't, I guess I do pray when I'm in trouble or don't feel well, but that's it. And they're saying, but I love God. He's the most important thing in my life. Well, there needs to be some action behind our words. The Bible says that, that faith without works is dead. We need to have some, now I'm not telling you to earn your salvation. You hear me preach about that all the time, but there ought to be some evidence of Christianity in our lives. But we sure sell out God's blessings so cheaply. Adam and Eve sold out everything for some fruit and Satan's lie. He's quick to spin one for you. Oh, God, you won't die. God knows in the moment you eat of it, you'll be like him. He doesn't want any competition. 
He knows you'll be like him. You'll do this, and you'll do that, and you'll do this. They ate of the fruit, and they became more like the devil than they did God. And they lost it all. The light went out of them. This is totally 100%. I try to warn you of this. This is totally 100% my opinion. I believe in the Garden of Eden. They were clothed with the glory of God, like the light covered Moses. Remember when he was in the presence of God? They walked with God. I believe that was their clothing, the glory of God. And all of a sudden, they realized they were naked. What, what happened to us? The light went out. And so they went and tried to cover themselves with, with, with plant life and stuff like this. The light went out. They lost. It's a bad, bad deal. It's a bad, bad deal when you and I sell our birthright or anything for a cup of stew, for a piece of fruit, and Satan's lies. Esau cheaply sold his birthright. Later, Jacob scams him out of his blessing. And indeed, Esau did serve Jacob. The older served the younger. Now, we don't have to go through all that junk, thankfully, because of Jesus. We can be born again, get a new nature. Our new person, our born-again spirit, now begins to rule our lives. But it takes some focus. It takes some focus to say, hold it. Think through your life. Think about things. You're all intelligent thinking people. You have the spirit of God in you. You know this. I know this. When something sinful comes my way, I know and I have to pause and say, hold it. Mm. Sometimes it's harder than others. Sometimes, But I've also noticed this too, too. Usually Satan puts all this pressure on you right there. He's like a high-pressure salesman. You ever been with a high-pressure salesman? You got to buy now. You don't buy now, you lose all these deals. You don't do this, this won't happen, that won't happen. You won't get this, you won't get that. I always say this. If it's a good deal today, it'll be a good deal tomorrow and a good deal next week. And if it's not, something's wrong with the deal. Satan's like that. It's high pressure. Go, go, go. Do this, do this, do this. Push, push, push. If you just go, let me just pray about that for two minutes. You know what will happen at the end of two minutes of prayer? I'm so thankful I did not do that. I allowed my new man with the Holy Spirit to take authority over the old man. And guess what? Your little bit of Jesus life just grew a little. And then you do it again, it just grows a little more and a little more. And you just keep enjoying more and more and more of the presence of God. See, I believe there's even Christians, generally born again, generally gone to heaven, who got just enough God to be miserable. Just enough God to be miserable. They, they, they can't in clean conscience enjoy the pleasures of the world anymore, but they haven't gone all the way in and enjoyed the pleasures of God. They're pleasures in God. The Bible declares that to us. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. There's joy in his presence. We need to get all in. But I think it's like I've talked to people who have gone to the swimming pool. You ask four people, what'd you do today? And they say, I went swimming. When you really probe for a little bit, you find out that one of them just laid out by the pool. Somebody else dangled their toes in the water. Somebody else walked in and walked out. Somebody actually swam. But they all say, I went swimming today. Well, I say... Let's all really go swimming in God, dive in, enjoy it, get drenched in his presence, and you'll find, oh my goodness, the things of God have so much joy, so much more pleasure than what this world has to offer. And when we get on his pathway, then we really enjoy life to the fullest. May I say this one more time? He does not want to rob anything from you. He does not want to steal anything from you. If God's who he said he is, the creator of all the universe, you have nothing he needs. You have nothing he needs. He has everything you and I need. And so as he directs us, it's Father's Day. I want you to think about this. I have done my best to direct my children 
to make wise choices and head down a right path. Now, they don't always listen, just like I didn't and just like you did, and I get that. But I can tell you, even if I was wrong about things, I can tell you this, I know what my motivation was. I love them. I want the best for them. I want them to enjoy life to the fullest. But you listen to parents talk, nothing makes them happier than talking about their kid who has excelled them and passed them. Seriously. Oh, my kid, he's doing this and that. He's 20 years ahead of where I was at his age. They're not mad about that. There's, ah, they feel joy with that. God wants us to live a deeply satisfying, blessed life so we can be a blessing. By the way, when I'm talking about that, I'm not just talking about money and jobs and promotions. I'm talking about life. Tara Gines, who's with the presence of the Lord right now, was telling Darlene one day, and by the way, they weren't paupers or anything, but they're just normal people like you and I are normal people, and she said, I love my life. I think we should all be able to say that. I love my life. And you'll love your life as it gets deeply rooted in Jesus, who has nothing but good in store for you. Let's pray together.